Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. So uh, this morning we're carrying on I Dare You series. Who's enjoying the I Dare You? Who's feeling kind of a bit of a challenge to to do something a little bit stretch outside of your comfort zone? Well, this morning's dare is I Dare You to Take the Donkey. Turn to someone and say, take the donkey. (laughs) You know, you know, I I think that the the British... um, are perhaps the, the, the greatest in the world in, in the setting of personal boundaries and space, the recognition of what is an appropriate bra- a boundary around their life and around the lives of others. We, we honour and respect that kind of space and there's a, there's a line, there's a politeness from which we wouldn't cross that line. There's a, a space around it. If you have to step into somebody else's space, there's a, there's a sense in which you have to apologise first. We, as British people, we like to say sorry. First thing, I, I, I'm sorry. Um, then maybe laugh a little too loudly. <laughs> and then bluff an excuse. Uh, I, I tripped, I stumbled, or, or something ridiculous. And then perhaps say sorry again. And, uh, and we, we like to say sorry. The British like to say sorry quite a lot. Um, maybe in a conversation where you have entered into someone's personal space, maybe at a queue, um, we were at the airport uh, flying home. Um, when was that, in fact? Was that yesterday? Yeah. I think it was yesterday. It seems such a sort of a, a long event happened, and I can't, I've lost uh, where the day has gone. And so yesterday, we were at the Gatwick Airport, which is extraordinarily busy. We were getting the EasyJet flight back to Inverness. Uh, we flew out of Inverness, and uh, so we're, we're queuing up to get to, an, and at Gatwick Airport, they, Inverness, uh, the EasyJet have this vast array of, of machines where you do the check-in yourself. There isn't anybody to check you in at all. Um, you simply go up to a machine, put your baggage on the, on the conveyor belt, uh, and it weighs it, and you just type in all the information, and away your bag goes. You don't speak to anyone. And uh, so it's a little bit, so there's these huge queues of people in these, these very... English people, they, they would have a Middle England English people come sort of bumping into us. And uh, what had happened is that um, they were obviously a family uh, of sort of uh, young, sort of there was like a, a mum and a dad there of a similar age to me and Cheryl and then these adult kids with them. And they were very excited about going away on holiday somewhere. And uh, so two of them had rushed ahead and got ahead of us of our family. It was me and Cheryl and Heidi and Chaz and Boaz and we were kind of there but two had got ahead which left another four or five behind and there was this, there was this sort of fight for the space. This is our space, this is their space and, but who got there first? Uh, we got there together but they kind of got ahead but apart and who gets the space? And, and there were these, these very English and, oh I'm so sorry <laughs> and, uh, and, and apologise and, and then some sort of, oh we were rushing, <laughs> so sorry and, uh, and then of course, do you mind? And Yes of course because the, in the, the English rule book of, of good manners which is very important in Britain is, is manners and politeness there's a sense of a sense of sort of unwritten rules, um, but the rule book says that the person you apologise to is 
is, is bound uh, by the word of God to accept your apology and apologize to you. you they haven't, they've been wronged, but you must apologize. Yes, I'm so sorry. Yes, of course, please. And you have to laugh as well, but not quite so loudly as the other person. <laughs> and then, and then you, you, say, you say sorry again. And away you go. But of course, there, there are other times when someone enters that space if they've been rude and they've pushed in because we like to queue, don't we? And uh, we like to queue up for things and everybody gets their space. But the person who pushes in the queue is a very rude person. And uh, that breaks all the British norms of people who can't queue. We go to countries where they can't queue and we think they're very uncivilised. Uh, look, at, look at all these pagan people. They, they can't queue. This is terrible. And not civilized at all, and so we, we want to queue. And, and so, someone, when someone gets into the queue and pushes in in front of you, this is how the rule book goes. The first thing you've got to do is, is um, announce a note of, uh, of disdain and, and uh, of the rudeness. So, you but you, you have to tut first, you know, and you have to huff a bit and huff and tut, and, and then, yeah, and then you, you have to declare how rude, but. You mustn't ever say it to the person who was rude, because that's rude. Um, so you have to say it to everybody else. You mustn't make eye contact with the rude person. You just want everybody else. To, you, you must turn away slightly. How rude. And then from there on, you must avoid eye contact for the rest of the time of the queue. You're standing, you're shuffling along, and you don't know whether to step into their space a little bit and let them know you're not pleased. Because they've been very rude and they've stepped into your space. It's amazing how we live with, with rules. The Britain likes rules, not, not like the Germans do. The Germans kind of do rules in a very kind of this very militant kind of way, but Britain does rules in a very kind of motherly way. We kind of it's, it's very kind of this very maternal kind of way of doing rules because it's it's better for everyone, isn't it, children? And uh, and so that's that's how Britain does rules, isn't it? It's very it's very maternal and kind of just gathering the the mother hen gathers everyone together. Now come on, we, if we do this politely, we can do it much quicker. And uh, and so we like to do these rules in Matthew, in in Mark's Gospel, chapter eleven. It says this now. In, in verse 1, Mark 11, verse 1. Now, when they draw near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied to the door outside of the street and they loosed it. But some of those who were standing there said, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as the Lord had commanded. So they let them go. Now, here's the thing. When God calls you, he calls you to step across the boundaries that are not Normal. We have to step beyond. God had called this cup, these two men, these two disciples, and He says to them, "Go and loose the donkey and go and get it. It's been untied; hasn't been ridden before. I want you to go and get the donkey. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just tell them the Lord has need of it." 
It's a little bit like going to the Mercedes garage and walking in, not even speaking to the guy who runs the Mercedes garage, walking behind, collecting the keys of a car that's never been driven before. And he says and says, what are you doing? It's okay, the Lord has need of it. (laughs) Oh, well, that's okay then. (laughs) The Lord has need of it. It's fine, I'll bring it back in one piece. It's kind of not going to work, is it? You can imagine what they're doing. This is the same approach. It's the same principle. If Jesus was here today, he would send you to the Mercedes garage for the, for the car that's never been driven. But no, he sent them to the house that had the donkey that had never been ridden. And he said, go and get the donkey. But you don't just go take donkeys. It's rude. <laughs> It belongs to somebody else. You're stepping across a boundary that is not normal. It it doesn't work like that. I remember when I was um, uh, 17 or 18 years of age, I led my first person to the Lord that I ever sort of witnessed to. And it was a young lad who was 16. He was just a year or so younger than me. And he was in the youth group and I was kind of helping to lead the youth group. And we had just watched that movie. The name of it escapes me, but it was Nicky Cruz. And it was the New York gangs and how Nicky Cruz got saved. He was a gangster and he got saved. The cross and the switchblade. And uh, so he got saved. We just watched this movie. Now this lad, 16 years of age, the week before, had just publicly declared that he was an atheist. Now, when somebody says they're an atheist, what they're saying is, this is the boundary line. You can't cross that. These are my values. This is what I believe. You can't cross that. So we can't go there. I'm an atheist. I like coming to the youth group. I like being friends, but I'm an atheist. Therefore, I don't want to know any of the Jesus stuff. Keep the Jesus stuff to yourself and I'll just play snooker. <laughs> I'll play table tennis at youth and I'll have fun with you, but I don't want any of the Jesus stuff. Because I'm an atheist. Now, the reality was, he probably didn't even know what an atheist was, and he was just repeating what somebody else had said, because it sounded cool. But, nevertheless, whether he knew what he was saying or not, he had established a boundary line. Now, of course, once someone's established a boundary line, that then makes it difficult for you to know whether, well, do I cross it or not? Because if I cross it, what happens? It's crossing the line for which people say you cannot cross. So we've just watched this movie, and at the end of the movie, it's one of the first times I've really heard God speak to me, and I heard the Lord say to me, go and ask that boy if he wants to give his life. His name was Connor. He's going to ask Connor if he wants to give his life to me. It's like going and getting the donkey. It's a boundary line you don't feel like you should cross. Because... There's a rules around society works, and these are one of the rules. He's already established. He doesn't want to know any of the Jesus stuff. But God wants us to break the rules of what people say you can or cannot do because the thing for which what God wants you to get is the other line, is the other side of the boundary line that says you can't. And so I remember just this, oh, this tension. Everything within me wanted to run away and not be in the youth group. But something greater in me wanted to see this boy saved. And so this this internal battle of whether I'm going to cross the line of being kind of just beyond that kind of uncomfortableness. It's very, one of the rules, unwritten rules of being British is that you never embarrass anyone. You never make anyone feel uncomfortable. Uh, you never expose anyone to anything. So, so that's the natural rules for which our society 
society is raised and I was raised in. So, so I'm now pushing against social training, developing of what, how my parents have raised me. And so I'm now in this place, but God is telling me to break the rules, to step in and, and ask this boy if he wants to give his life to Christ. And, and I kind of figured ultimately that, that that is a question worth breaking the rules for. So I remember going across this lad who, who's, um, this is the most short-lived atheist you've ever met um, because uh, he was a, he's only been an atheist a week. And uh, he, <laughs> he's been an atheist a week. He declares he's an atheist. And then he, and I said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And, and he looks at me and then he explodes. I just sort of, water just flies out of his eyes. It's like his tear ducts are all the way around it. Like this, and then snot, like that, and you're just weeping, howling on my shirt. And, and I'm like, I only ask if you want to give your life to Jesus. I mean, I don't know what. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, you know, I've not, I've not been in this place where I don't know kind of what to do. And this is all coming on. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is my nice shirt. And... Uh, <laughs> And here he is giving his life to Jesus. But the only way I managed to step into that place was to cross a boundary line that people said I couldn't cross. Society said I, I couldn't cross. And, and we've got to understand in this house that there is a challenge for you to go and get the donkey. The challenge is for you to step into that place where God has called you to go and get something. You see, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of getting. It's a kingdom of getting things. It's it's going and doing. Go and get this. Go and do this. It says in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, and verse 44, it says again, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, what God is waiting for is for you to go and get the kingdom of God, to go and get what he has set as treasure that will bring Hope into your life will bring resolution into the lives of other people, that will bring a victory where there has been defeat, that will bring a breakthrough, that will lift you into another place, but you have to go and get it. It's like a pearl of great price. I always think of the pearl of great price. We were, as you know, we were raised in the south of England and there's lots of posh people down there. And, uh, and the, the problem with posh English people is they can't speak properly. They have a speech impediment. And the speech impediment is that they can't say they're ours. So posh people can't say that it's, it's the pearl of great price. And uh, if you're English, the pearl of great price. And uh, so I remember, always remember the, the, this preacher, this, this woman in Brighton preaching on the, the pearl of great price. And I'm thinking, I'm sure it's a price, but... It might be a price, spelled P-W-I-C-E. And uh, uh, it's a pearl of great price. And, uh, and so here is this pearl of great price. But the pearl is in a place that is outside of the boundary lines of what is okay for you to step into. It's not polite, it's not normal, it's outside, of, it's outside of your comfort zone. It's outside of the place and you've got to do all that you can. 
What does he do? He goes and sells all that he has. Now, wait a second here. That's the boundary. So, well, he just had to sell everything. Well, sell everything? What would selling everything mean to you? What would that, what would everybody say if you sold everything? Oh, I've just sold my house and my car, my cat. I've just sold the dog and the dog food. <laughs> Two different people, poor dog. And uh, so I sold, I just sold. I sold everything that I've spent the last 20 years, 30 years, last 40 years, 50 years, whatever. I've spent all these years I've been collecting, building a life, a secure place where I just sold it. What did you sell it for? I bought a pearl. It's crossing boundary lines. People are oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go that far. You shouldn't cross that line. That's a little extreme, isn't it? Oh, I don't think that is right. I don't think God would want you to do that. I don't think God would ask you to go that far. But here's the thing about boundary lines. Is that boundary lines establish a point upon which God has established great treasure for you. But it's always the other side. How far are you prepared to go to get what God is calling you to receive? Jesus said to these disciples, go get me the donkey. But here's the thing about the getting. We think that the getting is a price too far, is a price too high to pay. We often feel like it's a, it's a boundary line which breaks, which, which, which challenges everything about us. But here's the thing. He empowers these disciples and he says to them, if anyone asks you, so you're not even asking anyone. You're not asking for them to say, you're just taking it. See, we spend our life trying to get permission to do stuff and God's already told you to go and get it. He's already told you to go and share your faith with someone. He's already told you to go and pray healing power. When you want someone to be healed, you're just coming, oh, Jesus, will you heal them? Uh, No. Don't ask Jesus to heal them. Jesus already promised healing. Go and heal them. Go and do what he's told you to do. You've just got to be bold enough to step across the boundary line of where you feel like you can or you can't. You just kind of hide. I don't know whether I can cross that, that line. I, I don't know whether I, I don't. That's, I'm, you know, I'm not comfortable with, I'm not comfortable with taking donkeys. It's, it's, you know, is there anyone around? Well, there happened to be a few blokes leaning against the wall going, what the flip do you think you're doing? It's okay, the Lord needs it. To which they reply, oh, that's okay then. You know when God empowers you to do something, it's okay. When we bought this building back in 2001, we had to raise... We had to raise an extra £30,000 in three weeks. I tell the solicitor, just tell him we'll take it. £30,000 we needed. In fact, it was in, actually, it was, the actual storyline goes, we were, it was in the December of 2000. And the solicitor phones me up. And we were renting Seoul, the church that is now Seoul. We were renting that building. It was horrible. 
I have a lot of Christians come up to me and go, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if that was a church again? Give me a break. It was horrible as a church. <laughs> it was probably great 100 years ago, but it's horrible now. All right, it might make another church. Now they've spent like six million on it. But who, which Christian in their right mind would spend six million on a roof? <laughs> you could build a whole new building. <laughs> Let the world pay the price, right? <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait till all the gamblers go home. We take it back, right? So, <laughs> so we were in that building, and we want to buy this one. And the price is 30000 more than we just can afford. And I have a decision to make. Yes or no, do I take it? And in my mind, I'm playing out what happened 20 years later. And in my mind, I'm playing out, yeah, yeah, no, we didn't buy it. Because we didn't have that 30000 And I could hear what people would say to me 20 years later. You didn't buy it for 30,000, 30,000, nothing. You didn't go for 30. At the time, 30,000 was everything. But I can hear 20 years' time you didn't do it for the 30. So I thought, I've just got to do it. I'm not going to ask anyone else. I'm just going to say, well, do it, and then I'll get agreement with the guys after. <laughs> so I said, look, well, just buy it. Tell them we'll buy it. We'll find the 30,000. So we're due to do the contract on the 1st of March 2001, we get to 1st of March 2001, we haven't even got the mortgage, hasn't, hasn't come through when they said it would. Um, but we still moved into the building. We still moved in. We haven't paid for the building, we still moved into it. Everyone's walking around praying. We've got, we got prayer meetings upstairs and what they could in the mirrored room now. There was parts of the, parts of the um, building we couldn't use because it was in such poor condition. And they were running and we've got a prayer meeting. And I'm sitting uh, in what is now known as a counseling room, was, was the office. And um, I'm sitting in there and I can hear these people praying. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm sitting there thinking, help me, Jesus. We haven't paid for this. I mean, it's not like we paid it. We haven't paid anything. We're in a building we haven't paid for. And if we don't pay for it, I don't know what happens. Somebody gets very cross and then solicitors get involved. Jesus. But when God says it's okay, it's okay. We took on Cromedy House, five-story office block, one pound a year with a rates of £100,000, and we managed to get them zeroed. How? Because Jesus said it was okay. I remember looking at the contract thinking, if I sign that contract, I'm liable for £100,000 a year. And I'm looking at it, and I hear God say, it's okay. Oh, well, that's okay then. I'll just phone up the head of the council and say, Jesus said it's okay. You know what? The conversation didn't quite go in those simplicity of words. I found other words to use, but it basically went that way. And do you know what he said? Oh, that's okay then. That's effectively what happened. He just went, well, that's okay then. And they just wiped out the hundred grand. Now, it took three months and a lot of sweating. (laughs) But they worked it out. Oh, that must be okay. You know, the kingdom of God is about what you dare to get. It's ultimately, it's about what you dare to get. 
It's about what you declare and what you believe. See, what you're believing for is beyond the boundary. It doesn't come to you. You have to get it. Because it's beyond the step of faith. The donkey never came to Jesus. They had to go and get it. Now, all of these things I spoke, this building is a donkey. It's just here to serve us and carry us through to what we're here to do. Everything we've ever get in the physical world, they're just donkeys. They're simply there to help carry you through. If you want a donkey, you've got to go get it. You want those things, you've got to go get them. You've got to dare to step in. But here's the thing. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18, Jesus is speaking to the church that's neither hot nor cold. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Here's the thing, right? I counsel you to buy. Let's, let's put this in today's language. I dare you. I dare you to go and get gold. I dare you to step into that place to cover your nakedness. In other words, he's talking to the church and saying, look, you are naked. There is a vulnerability to your life. But if you dare step across the boundary line, you'll be covered. If you dare step across, you'll get what you need. If you dare step into that place, you'll get what you are praying for. You see, you've got to look for the dare of doing what you think you cannot do. You've got to go and get what you believe you cannot receive. You have to look at the boundary lines of your life and ask Jesus, which donkey do you want me to get? Where is the cult that has never been ridden? Where is the donkey that I have to ride? Sometimes those things, sometimes the things that God is challenging you to do are relationships. Some of those things, they are as family circumstances, situations. Sometimes it's the purchase of huge items in your life that you simply cannot afford to purchase. Sometimes it's, it's conversations that you're afraid of having. But in every situation, there is a, a donkey that you don't own. You have no right to. But God told you to go and get it. He's told you to go and get it. Told you, son, this church is going to get it. Don't take a city. But it's not ours to take. Yeah, it's all right. The Lord says it's okay. He said it's okay. You just got to go and get it. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.